I'm so pleased that we're able to come into your home with this special teaching, somewhat unusually titled, When Goliath Comes to Your House. I know you recognize immediately the name Goliath as the one who fought against David. And you may wonder how he comes to your house, but I think all of us have experienced what Goliath brings. And I think this message will uh, really bless you. I share seven uh, considerations from David that applies very practically to each one of us. We'll get to that teaching in just a moment. I also on this uh, teaching uh, tell a little bit about what we just experienced in India. And as you are a partner, this was a dramatic time. Uh, I was charged twice in court, uh, first with a crime of mass conversion, secondly with practicing medicine without a license because of so many people that were healed. Well, I'll tell you all the details on the teaching. Thank you for your prayers. Our next campaign is in Congo. Meanwhile, amazing things have happened for us in the media department. Uh, we have been bursting at the seams here now for a month and a half. Our, the number of phone calls that come in every day uh, has grown by about 400 uh, percent. And we are also this month on top of that adding our telecast in the Middle East. And so we are on in every home in Israel. We are on uh, television in, in the surrounding Arab countries. Estimated 200 million Arabs have access to our program, You Are Loved. And, 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 and so we are bursting at the seams, just trying to keep up with everything administratively and practically that goes along with this. And I want to thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your partnership. We are growing because God's grace is upon us. And remember what the Apostle Paul said. We are partakers. We are partners, if you wish, in the same grace. As God's favor will be so evident as I share what happened in India. As God's favor is upon us to make this inroad into the Middle East. I believe God's favor is also on you. Please call our prayer center at any time that you have a thought or a concern. We want to be friends. We want to be family. But more than that, we want to be partners also in faith together with you. God bless you and be blessed by the teaching you're about to hear. And thank you for your gifts and your prayers. You make the difference uh, between not being able to go forward and going forward strong uh, to reach so many unreached areas. God bless you. All right. You know what I want to do this afternoon? I want to teach a little bit and talk a little bit in a personal way from one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. Now, in the primary sense, it is a picture of the son of David which is the most common name for Jesus found in Scripture, son of David, uh, defeating the devil. So Goliath is a picture of the devil, and David is a picture of Jesus. And that victory occurred 2,000 years ago. So we can praise God for that. Now, there are other ways you can also look at the story of David and Goliath. And I'm going to look at it in a secondary way to look at that particular story. And I'm going to talk about a giant that all of us encounter. 
every one of us. In fact, I've encountered this giant my whole life. I think you probably have too. You know, when I, a week ago, Tuesday morning, got into my taxi from the hotel where I had overnighted in New Delhi to go to the airport to, to the flight that would take me to Nagpur. And I had just received this news that I described to you that I was forbidden from teaching and speaking in the name of Jesus. And that the police commissioner would stop me. And, and oh, everything looked very hopeless. In fact, in the natural, I thought for sure I would be deported. I was expecting that the police would meet me at the airport. I was told all those things. And as I'm sitting in the taxi, I could feel Goliath right there beside me, breathing down my neck. I felt him before, so it wasn't the first time. Fear. How's this going to look? Think about all the partners who gave money to make this possible. Think about the churches, the Christians there in Nagpur that have invested and worked so hard. Think about the disappointment. Maybe it would have been better. I could hear Goliath talking. He said, maybe it would have been better if you never planned these kind of things. And furthermore, you know, they are threatening your life. Think about your wife. You know... Goliath can even begin to describe your own funeral to you. Have you ever had Goliath come and visit you? Many, many, many times. I don't know how Goliath comes to you, but I'm sure he comes. When it comes, it can be happening right here at Toronto International Celebration Church. Maybe somebody says something negative. And I can tell once in a while, I talk to Pastor Nathan, and I can tell Goliath has visited him. Yeah, he says, I, I don't know. Some problem came up. And Goliath says, you're no good. You're no good. You're going to fail. Nothing is going to come of your life. It's all in vain. Uh, I can think of... You know, all these campaigns we do, the missionaries, Goliath comes and says, you know, nobody's going to support this. Where are you going to get the money from? Uh, you know, Goliath always likes to accentuate the lack. He likes to uh, say, well, you know, people are not going to help you. People are not going to believe in this cause. Uh, Goliath comes there with his... I remember I was 13 years old, had just received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I was so uncertain. It was like a voice whispered in my ear, you're not really saved. You're not really saved. And in fact, you know, I think it's about the only time I've ever gone for counseling in my whole life. So I decided to go to this old preacher. He was like 75 years old. And I went to him and I was really in agony. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm saved. He started to laugh at me. I guess that's why I've never gone back for counseling. I said, I, I, I don't want to go back and do this again. He says, oh, you're saved. Don't you worry about it. But actually, I didn't like that. I thought, he doesn't, take, he doesn't treat my problem with sincerity. But with a long-range view, 
I would have to say that was a good thing. That was the best counseling I could receive because I learned I had to work this out myself with Jesus and nobody else was going to put me over the top. But I had to learn, though I didn't know the understanding of the terminology, I had to tap in or right away to say, well, I have to find the answer with Jesus Christ and myself talking this over until I know that I am His. You see, but Goliath keeps showing up. I remember as a young preacher, I'd come to Canada, I'd immigrated from Sweden, and I was starting to hold festivals. I was probably 21 years old at the time. And you know, I didn't have an organization. I didn't even know what an organization was. So I went to a senior minister in the denomination I belonged to. And I said, well, what should I do? I want to reach out to people everywhere. I don't want to just work with our denomination. I want to work with all kinds of people. And he says, well, if you do that, you don't belong in our denomination anymore because we don't like anybody to you just work right with us. I was so upset. I said, well, there goes all my contacts. There goes all the connections that I have. It's all within this little group. And boy, if this little group doesn't support me, oh, Goliath came to visit me. Has he ever visited you? Talks about your job. What's going to happen? There's a cutback. You're going to be the first one to go. What's going to come of you then? How is your future going to turn out? What about your family? What about the world? Look at the world is in such uncertainty. Look at the problem the world is in. There's so many scenarios. And Goliath, he comes right there. He wants to put doubt in your mind. He, 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 you know, the Bible says, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And Goliath, he comes breathing down your neck and says, you can't do it. You're not strong enough. He comes contradicting 1 Corinthians 1.30 that says that Christ has become our righteousness, our redemption, our, our sanctification, and our wisdom. And he says, you don't have enough wisdom. You're not righteous enough. He comes to, 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 to oh, Christ isn't really living in you. Galatians 2.20 is not really for you. That, uh, that you be, where it says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Goliath says, he doesn't really love you because you failed. You let him down. Who is Goliath? Well, let's go to the Bible and read a little bit. I'll start with 1 Samuel chapter 17. Read a few verses there if you put them on the screen. And we're going to find out who Goliath really is other than this huge person. Who, who, who is he? It says the champion went out from the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. I mean, you get a picture here of a giant monster, don't you? Then it says, let me just uh, keep going, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron uh, spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. I mean, that was like an ancient bazooka was going to hit you if that spear hit you. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. That's another good message. Give me a man. That's the cry from hell, from Adam on. Give me one man. Give me one man. Give me one man. And they all came one after the other. But it was not until the man, Christ Jesus, uh, became the mediator between God and man that the devil forever met his match. Praise God. But I'll save that for another time. Let's keep reading here. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So what is this? This is is this giant who exudes fear fear you look at him you just feel afraid and all the men of israel when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid in other words there comes again they all were afraid so goliath in a very real sense i understand but we could look at different things as our giant but the giant here is fear will i succeed will i die is this vision from God? How will I handle this opportunity? Fear incapacitates people from taking a step forward to venture into something new. Fear is that worry, that anxiety, that anguish of heart where your mind rehearses the same movie over and over again on the screen of your mind. You picture that negative scenario. You picture that negative development. You wonder, how will it ever work out? There is no way out for me. Goliath comes to you. He comes in the middle of the night, wakes you up, he's talking to you. You can look at your wife or your husband and they're asleep, but Goliath is talking to you. He's saying, look how big I am. Look how strong I am. Look how powerful I am. Look how frightening I am. How are you ever going to come out of this mess? And so we look at how Goliath works. And I've faced this in so many ways. You know, you have fear of, of failure, fear of opportunities. How does Goliath work? You know, it's interesting in the Bible. Let me give you a few points on that. First of all, Goliath, when he wins, wins without a battle. That's his victory. He, he doesn't want really a battle. He just wants a charade. That's just like the devil. Uh, that, that's why the Bible says we are fighting against the schemes of the devil. Not the devil himself because he is a loser, but he has schemes. He has charades. And this Goliath comes with this enormous coat and he has all the, the bronze spear and the sword and it looks so powerful. And so Goliath wins between your eyebrows and the hairline. He wins without any real battle he wins because people who he is able to 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 throw down and defeat they never rise to the battle they are defeated before the battle starts because the defeat happens in their mind but goliath paralyzes god-given potential you know, Israel, every single soldier in Israel from Saul on down had a promise from God that they could defeat Goliath. Every one of them. David was not predestined to be the one. 
In fact, he was way down the list. He only got the opportunities because others walked away. There was a promise that no man shall be able to stand before you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That was all the promises that were given to God, to the people of Israel. And first of all, King Saul should have gone to battle. If anybody should have taken the lead, but he was like paralyzed, paralyzed. You know, there is so much potential in this room. Everybody say potential. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have potential. No matter what age you are, you have potential. If you are breathing on this earth, you have potential. You're, you know, the human potential that God put in us is enormous. I mean, we may think that the animal kingdom is great, you know, birds can sing. But they can't write a symphony, can they? They sing the same tune all the time. I mean, at least we can select between country music and opera and rock or whatever else, polka, whatever you want. But birds just sing the same song. But humans, we have the potential to make all kinds of music. You, you know, have you ever seen a lion kill a gazelle? It's the same thing every time. They rip the poor animal apart and they eat it. They never eat it Mexican style. We have chicken a la Kiev. We have chicken Mexican style. We have chicken, the southern chicken. We have fried chicken. We have, we have uh, jerky chicken. We have every kind of chicken that there is because we are humans. We are made in the image of God. We're coming up with new ideas how to make that chicken taste good. In fact, you know, I noticed we had chicken today in our church uh, cafeteria here after the service. Of course, I don't eat uh, uh, that right now, but anyhow, uh, it, it smelled good anyhow. I can tell there's different spices in it all the time. But you know, a lion never does it because they're kind of stuck in one way. They go for the throat, drink the blood, rip it apart, fight over it, same thing. But humans, we have tremendous potential. Some of you may be arguing with me and think, well, my dog can do a lot of tricks. Oh, come on, not that many. Roll over, sit, leave it, fetch, and about ten others. That's about it. But you, me, we are made in the image of God. We have creativity. We have an ability to envision, to see something. You know, you know, little, little puppy dogs, they, they like to dig up the yard. And they use their paws, you know, and they, they just dig, 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 dig. How many ever experienced that? But they could never build a John Deere tractor. They could never get some excavation equipment going. They just do it the same way as dogs have always dug holes in the ground. But you and I, we, we are people. We are in the image of God. God made you beautiful. God gave you potential. God put riches inside of you. But fear paralyzes us. It, 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 it makes us just stand still and we can't do anything even when I get up to say, can, can you join the prayer team? Can you give one evening? It's like, I me. He must be talking to somebody else. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy. I'm not busy enough. I'm not. It's late at night. It's too early. It, there's always something because fear paralyzes us. What if I can't do a good job? Well, what if I, I, I can't pray? What do you mean you can't pray? You can pray. Don't believe those lies. 
You remember that one man who, 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 who had taken his talent and he dug a hole in the ground? And it says, I'm reading here Matthew 25, 5. He says, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Fear makes people hide their talent. Fear can bring sickness and disease on people. Job said, what I greatly feared has come upon me. That which I was afraid of, it's happened to me. So we know what Job feared, what his fantasy life was like. He was, he was fantasizing that a hurricane would come and wipe out his farm, his estate. He was fantasizing that he would have boils covering his body. He was fantasizing, what if some of my family dies? Because the very thing he was afraid of and imagined is what happened to him. You know, another thing about fear, I noticed that fear coexists with religious rituals. We didn't read this, but I can, I can just read it to you. Here in 1 Samuel, it says that when David finally came, I haven't gotten to David yet, he says, and he, he, he got to the camp, and it says that the army of Israel were going out to fight and shouting for battle. This is kind of a ridiculous situation, because here you have Goliath. He is standing there big and tall, eight feet or whatever he was, and he is saying, he's saying, give me one man. And across the valley is the army of Israel. You know what they do every morning? They're not answering, they're just ignoring him, pretending he doesn't exist. They go up and he says they are preparing for battle. They're lining up. And they are shouting. And then they go for a coffee break. <laughs> Every morning, they just go through this ritual. They go for a little shout, and they line up, and they put themselves in formation. It makes it look like they're going to battle, but nobody ever goes to any battle. You see, that's how religion is. Sometimes charismatic Christianity is this. We get together in church and we're singing songs. We're going to conquer this and we're going to conquer this and we're going to do this and we're going to do the other thing, but nothing ever happens. You know, you've been to a prayer meeting where they prophesy and say, Oh, God is sending a healing anointing across the whole country. And then they go out in the hallway and say, Give me an aspirin. I feel a little pain. I have a little something here. You know, it's better not to go all that shout and all that twist and all the dance. It's better to have some little bit of mustard seed faith and say, how about believing Jesus right now for my headache? Uh, you know, but sometimes we just go through the motion. We just go through the motion. We're singing and, you know, that's why I'm always a little bit on our singers. We're singing these songs. I love you, Lord. There's no one else but you for me. I said, really, give me a break. You're living for going to the keg too much. Uh, you, nothing, nothing at all. I'm only for you. Oh, you're the only one, Jesus, for me. I said, you know, I'm not so sure about us singing songs to Jesus, how much we love him. I'd rather hear songs about how much he loves us, because that I can trust in. But when we start singing, you know, oh, with every breath I take, all I think about is you. I said, really? I saw you trying to flirt with that girl in our church the other day. Obviously not with every breath you're thinking about Jesus. But sing songs about how God's eyes are forever turned on us. Now that I can, that I can bank on. That no matter what, God loves me nonstop. Praise God. God is for me. Who can be against me? Are you all right? You, 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 you know, so they, they went out and had a little shout. And they lined up. Doing a pretend battle. 
I am sick and tired of charismatic pretend meetings. These meetings, I was in one meeting, and they were standing there with a little plastic sword from Dollarama. They said, this is a prophetic act. We're moving this. I said, what kind of foolishness is this? And then, then we were all taking a step, a prophetic step. You know, it looks stupid to everybody but those who think they're initiated. I've always liked the real thing. I've always liked the real thing. Praise God. Amen. I like to be where the real battle is, not the fake battle. You know, see, some of you need to get into a real battle, like the one I was in last week. Because, you know, when you get into a real battle, you don't have time to think about your own problems. You don't have time to be depressed. That's the, that, that's the problem. Some people that don't have enough, enough activity. If you join our Saturday morning evangelism team, you'll be happier on Saturday. Because you don't have time to think about yourself. You run into somebody here uh, across the street who really needs God, and you get so consumed in, in sharing Jesus with that person that you, you wouldn't have time for all your mental problems anymore. Because you have something to think about. I'm telling you, you know, I'm telling the truth. You may not like it, but it's the truth. That's why in the Western world we have so much mental distress. People have got so much time on their hand. You know, where people just have to get behind the bull and plow the field for 12 hours a day, they don't have time to get in trouble. They're just trying to survive. Some of us will be so much happier if we just get right into the real battle, serving and loving Jesus. And I know many of us are, but how many know I'm talking to somebody somewhere who needs to jump into the real battle? There need to be a David who comes and says, what is going on here? You're getting out, you're getting information, you dress up, you put your armors on, and thousands of soldiers are lining up here, and they're standing in their squadrons, and they're 50 here and 100 there, and everybody's lying up and captains and lieutenants uh, and everybody's shouting yeah 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 and then they go back for coffee and Goliath is there and everybody's afraid 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 because you know Goliath has associates he's got two here one called Eliab and he's actually David's older brother. Let's read 1 Samuel 17, 28. Eliab, this is, uh, as I said, David's older brother. Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He's mad. He said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have just come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> Maybe that's what you, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? That's another good sermon. Is there not a cause? But I'm not going to preach that one either now. I'm talking about the, the Goliath of fear. So, so Eliab comes here. He's like the associate of Goliath. He says, oh, you, you just think you're somebody, don't you? You're actually shirking your responsibility. Who do you think you are? You just have insolence of heart and pride. You know what's behind that is a a 
angry type of jealousy from the person who feels, I was passed over. I should be the one. Well, he could have been the one. God's promise was there for Eliab. He could have gone ahead to fight Goliath, but he chose not to. You will have those come. You know, on the one side in the back of that taxi, there's Goliath. And on the other side is Eliab. And he says to me, who do you think you are, Peter? You think you just go down there? I know you got away with it a few times before, but you know what? There's a last time for everybody. Who do you think you are? Why are you so stupid to even get on that plane where you could just go and cash in your ticket and fly back to Canada? And Tyna would be happy to see you. You know that. And you'd be happy to see her. You can go to church this weekend and listen to Jim Hockaday, who is the guest. Just sit there and relax. Why do you want to get on that plane? Who do you think you are? Have you ever had a visit like that? I'm sure you have. They're more associates. Saul is an associate. Look at verse 33. So Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And you're out of your league. You are not able. You don't have what it takes. Have you ever had Saul sit in the front seat of your car? And says, you just don't have the personnel. You need a lawyer right now. You, need, you, you don't have what it takes. Because after all, you're out of your league. Later on, very interesting, because you have all this conversation between Saul and David. Later on, about 20, 25 verses later in the chapter... When David is going to battle, look at what Saul is saying here. Look at verse 55. I'll read it to you. Verse 55. When Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Well, Saul knew very well who David was. First of all, David had played the harp for him. He had already had talked to David. He had tried to convince David to wear his armor, to wear Saul's armor, and David had refused. But now when David is actually going out to the battle, he says, who, who is this youth? And Abner says, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. See how he's pretending? I don't even know this guy. Who's this guy? <laughs> Look at that. Who is that guy? Then, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. This is kind of gruesome, but anyhow, stay with me. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. In fact, Saul knew all along who David was. He had talked to him, read the previous verses in the chapter. But what he's doing, he, he's trying to belittle. He's like, who's this guy? Maybe you have some people like that look at you and say, I don't even say, they say, who are you? They act like they don't even know you anymore. You know what that is? So I was thinking, well, I don't want to be associated. I, I, I just washed my hands. I never talked to that guy. I, he never played in my palace. He never played the harp. I don't know who he is. Intimidation. Look at that. Saul won't even associate with you. Here you've been, you've been playing the harp, but he pretends he doesn't even know you. You're such a little nobody. You're such a little squirt, David. Nobody knows you. 
Oh, you can see it. That's a nice car ride. You got Goliath on the one side, and you got Eliab on the other, and you're squeezed in the middle, and you got Saul in the passenger seat in the front, and you got a wild Indian driver. <laughs> you know, are, are you with me? You ever experienced that? I know you have. I've experienced it a hundred times. That's why I say this is every man's battle. This is what every person deals with. And Goliath keeps coming back because you defeat him once. He likes to come again with his big charade. Big deceptive pretense. But thank God the story doesn't end there. There is David, who is the picture of the son of David. Uh, David the king, who was young and of a ruddy countenance. We read that. He was young and of a ruddy countenance. You know, I told the pastors in India, first time I went to India, which was in 1842. No, it was... Uh, in 1980, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I went to a town in India called Kohler Goldfields. They don't have any gold because the British took it all, but there was gold there at one time. And, and, uh, and uh, they met me at the Bangalore airport. And I took this trip in the car. I was staying in an orphanage. I felt so bad for those orphans because the pastor made all the orphans bring me water so I could bathe. You know, I felt so bad for them. They had their own system. And, and so the pastor picked me up. And I was pretty young. I was wearing jeans. And in those days, you know, no man of God could wear jeans in India. You know, in India was a place where, where pastors photographed themselves with the Bible under the arm and nobody ever smiled if you're a man of God. So I was kind of relaxed. I had a little too long hair for preachers, you know. So for three days after I got to Kola Gophis, I was at three days before the meeting was going to start, I never saw the pastor. I saw his kids. I saw his wife. They were there helping me. His kids were grown, so I was kind of able to relate. I never saw the pastor till the day the festival was going to start. And he showed up all happy. And it wasn't until several years later he told me what had happened for those three days. He said, I had followed your advice. I put up posters all over Cola Goldfield saying the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. And when I saw a kid like you, he said, my God, what have I done? I will put the gospel to shame. Somebody wearing jeans and a t-shirt cannot possibly be a man of God. So he said, I locked myself away for three days of prayer and fasting, asking God to forgive me for what I had done, bringing such a young boy here to hold a, a gospel festival. And he he said after three days he said the meeting was supposed to start that night i said suddenly said to the lord i said god you got to tell me something i don't know i feel like i hear nothing so he said i opened my bible and put my finger on this verse in first samuel and he said he said that that said that uh, that goliath looked on on saul saul looked on on david and said he was young and of a ruddy countenance and he despised him he said that god set me free and i realized that you can be young and serve god and him and i were friends till the day he went to heaven Amen. Brother Nicholson, he went to heaven. So I have lots of good stories I could tell you from this chapter. So I used to be young and despised at one time. Now I'm old and never mind. All right. So are you with me? So here comes David. Turn to your neighbor and say, here comes David. Let's read a little bit about David's spirit. 1 Samuel 17, 32. Let's read that. 
David said to Saul, let no, this is earlier now, let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. A little later on, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard. He caught the lion by the beard. We call it the mane. And struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Read a little bit verse 40 down. Uh, it was here goes. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover David said the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David go and the Lord be with you. I don't know if we have any more there. Let's keep it going. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David keep going and uh, and let's keep reading and the man who bore the shield went before him and when the Philistine looked about and saw David he disdained him for he was only youth here it is he was a youth ruddy and a good looking well I don't know if the pastor thought I was good looking but he said I was young and ruddy so the Philistine said to David am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he'll give you into to our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. Uh, number one, I want to tell you this about David. I'm talking about when this giant appears and whispers lies in your eyes, in your ears. Number one, remember your covenant. Number one, remember your covenant. He said, who, because in those days, you know, the sign of the covenant was uh, the cutting into the male body called circumcision that caused blood to flow. And so he says, he is uncircumcised. He is not under the covenant. And therefore, no matter how big he is, I got the edge. Well, we have a better covenant we have an everlasting covenant because there was a cutting into the flesh of Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by the stripes that were cut into his body, we have been healed. So you know your covenant. And of course, that was only under the covenant. Of course, in David's case, he was living at the time of the covenant of Moses. But you will find out in, in David's case that he rarely tapped into that covenant because he was still also under the covenant of Abraham. And everything David got, he got by grace. He didn't get any of his blessings because he was so perfect. He got them by the grace of God. 
because he knew that God loved him. And so when there was no hope for David, he went to the only one who could give him hope. You know, sometimes that's what you got to do. David at one point was so hopeless. You know, after what he had done, he had committed adultery. He had lied and he had murdered someone. So where do you think David went? To church? He knew what they're going to do to him in church. They'd kill him. He knew. He had read the law. I mean, there were three crimes all worthy of death. So he's not going to go to the priest and say, can you work a deal for me? Because he knew. He was finished. There was no hope for him. In fact, Psalm 3 says, I quote it often. David said, there are many who say of me, there is no hope for him in God. God cannot redeem this man. May forgive him, but it's over. So you know what David did? He didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to the priest. He went straight to God himself. And he said, God, have mercy upon me. Oh, God, thank you for your loving kindness. He understood his covenant. He understood that I have a right to go to God for myself. As Nathan preached about this morning, that we are not middlemen. I'm not a middleman. Nathan is not a middleman. We're not trying to stand between you and God. You have direct access yourself to the Father through Jesus Christ. And David, before the new covenant came, he understood that. He said, I can go straight to God. When everybody say it's hopeless, I'm going straight to God himself. Oh, praise God for that. But you know, when you know the covenant, there are some side effects. Let me list. I've written down seven of them here in my notes. I'll give them quickly and then I'll be quiet. First of all, when you know your covenant, you got relationship. Because what he's saying to Saul, he says, you know, I've already experienced God's grace in my life. When the lion and the bear came, I already have a relationship. I, I, I may look young, I may look inexperienced, but I've already enjoyed fellowship with my Heavenly Father. And He has seen me through. Maybe nobody knows about this. My testimonies aren't known, but they're going to be known. But right now, nobody knows. But there was a lion, there was a bear, and my God was with me. Everybody say relationship. That's what Jesus said. I only, I only say what I hear the, the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. Relationship. And then the covenant gives you the strength to take the initiative. Say that with me. Strength to take the initiative. I love how David ran towards the battle. That's what Jesus did. He said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It wasn't the devil coming after Jesus. It was Jesus going right into the lion's den. You see, something happens on the inside when you know who you are. See, when we tell, tell people, and, and, and when I've experienced this wonderful, awesome truth that Christ lives in me, that I am nothing without Him. That's the one side of the coin. The other side is, if Jesus lives in me, then I must be important. I'm an important person. I may not look important. I may not have the title. So when Goliath comes, I think about that. On the one hand, I am nothing without Jesus. I can do nothing without Him. But on the other hand, that makes me very important. 
Do you know that you're an important person? God Himself has taken up residence in you. You don't have to live in inferiority. If we would understand this, many beautiful, spirit-filled Christians would stop being so dependent on preachers. Oh, I want so-and-so to pray for me. I want, I want this person, and I want a word. I want, I want, I want, I want. Once you realize that you are important, you still respect the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that God said in the church. You respect them. You don't badmouth people, but you're not so clingy. You're not so, oh, I need so-and-so. I need you. I need your anointing. I need people tell me that all the time. No, no, no. You need to know who Jesus is in you. Because when you know who Jesus is in you, you realize I'm important. I'm important. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission in this world. I live for a reason. I'm not just here, a kind of an accident about to happen. I'm a person with destiny. I have dignity. I have God on my side. And you straighten your shoulders and you say, I think the demons are running away now because I am coming to town. Praise God. This is wonderful. You say, I got Christ in me. But I'm nothing without him, but because of him, I'm important. I love what my friend who went to be with Jesus, T.L. Osborne, said, and I heard him give this testimony in, in person so many times. He's talked about how he went to India. In fact, we're going to the city where he went in 1949 as a missionary and failed. You know, T.L. Osborne, who went to be with the Lord, Tyne and I went to his memorial service in Tulsa. In his 90th year. He went to Lucknow, India. Northern India. As a missionary. Promised his denomination he would go for five years. And he spent two years there and failed as a missionary. And he failed because he said, I could not convince the Muslim friends that Jesus is the Son of God. They believed in Jesus. That he's a prophet. They loved God. They called him Allah. And they loved him. I love God and I call him God. And he says, we... We sat and talked, Muslims and I. I had my black book with the gilded papers called the Bible. And they had their black book with gilded papers called the Quran. And they loved God and I love God. And they believed in Jesus that he was a prophet. And they couldn't convince me and I couldn't convince them. So he said, I felt very ashamed he said, I left India because he said, there was no use for me being here. I could best well go back to America where they believe the Bible. At least some people believe the Bible is God's Word. So I could just preach and say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And everybody will be convinced by that. But he says, no sense for me being here in India. They're lovely people. We have good dialogue, but I can't prove anything. So he went home. And to his amazement, his denomination forgave him. Because in those days, you know, missionaries went out for five years minimum, some seven and some ten years. And it was a big operation. You had to go on a boat trip and send all your stuff. And it was a big thing. It wasn't like we do today. It's a whole other era. But they forgave him. They appointed him to be a pastor. And he says, I was almost obsessed with my denomination. He said, my superintendents, my leaders, it was almost like they had become God to me. I was so, I had such allegiance to them. 
And then he talked about when he encountered Jesus Christ. And he says that very same thing. He says, when I had an encounter with Jesus, he says, I I still love those denominational people. I love my superintendent, but they were not so important anymore. Because I realized I was important. And that's what I'm bringing out to you. Sometimes preachers are so important to you. So important to you. Oh, if they shook your hand. If they prayed for you. If they prophesied. That's so, so important. you know what that is? Because you don't know who you are. You don't know yourself. So you, you, you see yourself as this weak, emaciated person. Maybe because of some unworthiness or some, some fault in yourself. And so you, you live in this self-loathing and condemnation that you're not good enough spiritually. But I tell you, when you see Jesus Christ inside of you, yes, I'm nothing without Him. But the flip side is, I am important. I have a mission. I have a destiny. I'm not garbage. I have Christ in me. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Praise God. You know, David, David says, of course, he, he had his eye on the prize. I've got to get this in. He said, he, said, he, 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 he says, now, whoever kills this Philistine, what, what will happen to him? He will have riches, and he will marry the king's daughter, and he will have tax exemption. That's pretty good. The king's daughter, no taxes, and riches given to you. So he had that as well. Do you have a joy in the prize that's set before you? Do you have a joy in the fact that Jesus is going to say to you, Well done, you good and faithful servant. That's better than the king's daughter and tax exemption. Can I hear an amen? amen. Are you rejoicing in that? Yes. Well, shout yes if you are. Yes. And when you, when, when you know your covenant, you have faith to see the invisible. See, all the army of Israel could see was the problem. But David saw the potential. You've heard it said that they saw how big Goliath is. He's too big. And David said, he's so big I can't miss him. If I fire with one of my stones from my sling, I couldn't possibly. It's all how you look at it. You've heard about the man who was out fishing. And, and, and you know, most time when people are fishing, they save the big fish and they throw back the little ones in the lake, right? But this guy was doing the opposite. He was throwing back the big fish and keeping the little and somebody asked him, so what are you doing that for? He says, my frying pan is only six inches, so I don't want anything bigger than that. Somebody ought to tell him to get a new frying pan. And I tell you, a lot of people need to get a bigger frying pan. You need to, you need to think bigger fish, uh, bigger frying pan, bigger prosperity, bigger increase, bigger things from God in your life. Oh, give Jesus big praise for that. And then, knowing the covenant gives you peace to be the original that God made you to be. See, Saul said, you you, you need my armor. This is tried and tested, and he he tried it, but he looked ridiculous in it. So he says, I'm going to be who I am. I'm a simple guy with a shepherd's bag and a pouch. 
and I got a sling and I'm going to grab five smooth stones. Oh, I heard some. I could preach. There's so many sermons in here, you know. I could preach about the five smooth stones. Oh, well, the first stone is this. I'll save that for another Sunday. Uh, there's lots of great things in here, but my point today is you can be yourself to be anybody else. If you fall under the power of God, fall. But don't do a CD. You say, what's a CD? That's a courtesy drop. <laughs> I don't do courtesy drops anymore. I listened to a preacher a while ago. You know, he was trying to intimidate everybody to fall under the power. Don't resist the anointing. I looked at him. He was coming to all the other preachers, but he stayed away from me. He could just feel it coming out of me. Buddy, I am not intimidated. I have fallen out under God's power many times, but I am not intimidated, and you get no CDs from me. Not even DVDs, but no CDs for sure. Because I have peace to be who I am. I have laughed under the Holy Ghost. But I remember I went to hear this preacher who was very famous for everybody laughing. He was so nice to me. He gave me $2,000. He bought me a new suit, best suit I ever had. You know, I wore it out eventually. Bought me these expensive ties. I would never buy a tie for that price. I mean, for the price where he paid for one tie, I could have bought 10 ties. I'm telling you, he was so nice to me, but he just wanted me to laugh in his service. And I tried, but it was the most pathetic laugh you have ever heard. It was some he, 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 he. That's all I could put up. Everybody knew that there was no anointing on that. I have laughed in the Holy Ghost, so don't think I'm such a stick in the mud, but I tried for him. I just because he's been so nice to me. He gave an offering for missions, and then he brings me up in front of all these people, and I couldn't laugh. If you had paid me a billion dollars, I could just get this stymied he, he, he out of my mouth, and it was so ridiculous, but you don't have to. You can be quiet, you can laugh, you can shout, you can do whatever, because you are important. And nobody needs to bully you around. Nobody, but at the same time, you are soft, you are pliable. Praise God, if God will make you if, you, if you feel like, I want to fall on my face and just cry, I'll fall on my face and cry, because I'm not intimidated by what everybody else thinks. So I can fall forward and backward and do the split and dance and jump and get excited or just sit in my chair, Either way, I don't owe anybody anything except for love, and Jesus Christ is in me, and I'm secure in who I am. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! So he says, I don't need your armor. I'll take the five smooth stones. I know how to fire them. Be who you are. Glory to Jesus. You know, it takes many years to figure out who you are. I'm just starting to learn who I am. Wait, that Nathan, wait till you figure out who you really are. Wow, 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 wow. One thing I notice in my life, I get always thrown into battles. Must be something about battles and me. I get into these, this situation we were in now was not the first. I'm sure it's not going to be the last. I have had to hide. I've had to flee from my life. I've had, all kinds of things happen. But somehow I am still alive and kicking and I may as well accept it. <laughs> Praise God. Then 
He says God's honor is at stake. You see, when you know that you're in a covenant that is fail-proof and foolproof, you are concerned about the honor of the Lord. Because the Lord and I, we are together. We are a team. And he says, you're not defying me. You're defying the living God. That's who you're defying. And then, you know, I love the boldness here of David. If you know your covenant, you become bold. You're not so intimidated. He runs to the battle. I mean, how did it look to everybody else? Can you imagine Saul? Who's that? Who's that? He's running. This looks stupid. This looks foolish. He has no armor on. He's running to the battle. He's hurrying. Boldness. When you know that you are a covenant person... And that the covenant was authored by Jesus Christ, you become bold. You don't take the back seat to anybody. You respect people. You have supervisors at work. You respect them. You can take directive. You can take orders. You can follow a, a, a system of work. But inwardly, you are never intimidated. You're not afraid to look anybody in the face. You don't have to mumble at that job interview. You can look people straight in the eye. You can talk to people because you are a covenant person. You have Christ living inside of you. Glory to God. You see, fear is basic rooted in not understanding that God loves you because there is no fear in love there is no Goliath in love so when I'm sitting in the back of that taxi thinking about all this the police are waiting for me I can't speak in the name of Jesus there's no way I can live up to that why am I doing this they have problems they have promised me to attack me you have to understand the battle I was just in there was all kinds of little details to it after we have finally I've been given permission, after I've been given permission to preach and to pray in the name of Jesus, I had several knocks on my door. First came a group of police officers. Well, all the Christians were freaking out. They saw the police go to my room. And to my surprise, you know why they came to my room? They wanted me to pray for them. I mean, after all that, six hours at the police commissioner's office, and the t- now the same people say, well, you know, we, we, can you pray for us? Then there's another knock, and they said, you must give us 15 minutes mode notice if you plan to leave your room so that we can get the police cars lined up because we had, had one kind of armed vehicle in front of me, one behind me, full of police officers. So I'm thinking, well, must be a reason. You know, must be a reason. Then they said, be very careful when you preach and teach. Both in the morning to the pastors in the evening, everything you say is being recorded. The police are not, not only is Kobe videotaping and the local media is videotaping, but the police, their FBI is here to film everything and they will bring it right to the FBI station after the service and they will listen and transcribe it into the Hindi language. I thought, praise God, somebody is finally going to pay attention to my sermons here. And... Uh, I called Tina and I said, you know, uh, you may not realize how important my words are. <laughs> she said, yeah, I know they are very important, but it doesn't work in the domestic sphere, she said. You know, so, so I said, yeah, I agree with that. But they, and so then, so then in, the, in, the, in, the, in the seminar, the same thing. Second day in the seminar, suddenly I see all these bodyguards running up surrounding me. I just keep going. 
And later on they tell me, oh, the police just sent an intelligence report that we're going to attack you in the seminar instead of the festival. Well, the attack never happened. But you know, you can't live by all these opinions. You can't live by all these thoughts, what people are thinking. You can just become obsessed by fear. But when you know your covenant, you are bold. I don't mean that we could never not face a situation where like Paul, I was lowered down over a wall and had to flee the city. That can happen. That's in the book of Acts. But whether that happens or we have a glorious victory like we did this week, I know one thing, that I am a covenant person. Christ is for me. Christ causes me to triumph, and I'm bold, and I'm sold on being bold. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you a covenant person? But I said I was going to finish with this here. I've been finishing for a while. It's hard to finish, but I'll get to it. Uh, you, you know, fear is symptomatic of not living in the reality of God's love. You know, perfect love cast out fear. There's no fear in love. So how do you come to a realization when Eliab is there and Saul and Goliath and they're all bombarding you? Thank you, God, that I'm loved. You provided a covenant for me because I'm loved. And the more you enjoy God's love and you thank Him for His love for you, the covenant suddenly becomes crystal clear. And then all these side effects I told you about, they just start happening. Because you know that God loves you. And fear has to go. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Have I helped anybody today? God loves you. Peter Youngren and World Impact Ministries operates Grace Prayer Center Line at one 974 where you can call for prayer ministry from our prayer center or for more information about World Impact Ministries. You can also visit us at www.peteryoungren.org. In the U.S., Post Office Box 462770, Escondido, California, 92046. Or in Canada, 190 Railside Road, Toronto, Ontario, M3A183.